The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to Influencer Marketing Week on the MarTech Podcast. This week, we're going to publish an episode every day talking about how you can maximize your influencer marketing strategies. Joining us for Influencer Marketing Week is Vivian Garnes, who is the co-CEO of Upfluence, which is the only influencer marketing software with a dedicated offering for e-commerce brands. And they help brands drive online sales through organic influencer partnerships. And in addition to providing us with our guest today, Upfluence is also a sponsor of the MarTech podcast. And today, Vivienne and I are going to talk about whether you should be building an influencer marketing campaign. All right, here's the first installment of Influencer Marketing Week with Vivienne Garnes from Upfluence. Vivienne, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Excited to have you here. I appreciate you staying up late. I know you are based in France, and I hope my uh, French pronunciation of your name was at least close enough to the truth. It was wonderful. And uh, yes, we are an American company founded by French people because nobody's perfect. And I am indeed calling from France right now. <laughs> well, I appreciate you staying up late. And of course, for your support of the MarTech podcast. And also excited to talk to you about not only a budding marketing channel, but something that I think has oddly become sort of the focus of my career personally, which is influencer marketing. You know, I started off as a marketing consultant and I launched the MarTech podcast to try to generate new business. And the next thing you know, I had a little bit of a following and an audience. And now I am basically on the flip side of the influencer marketing strategy being the content creator. But I want to talk to you about why brands should consider influencer marketing, who this type of marketing works for. Talk to me about how brands decide whether they should or shouldn't start an influencer marketing campaign as a strategy. The way I like to look at it is that any consumer-oriented businesses, not just brands, any consumer-oriented businesses can benefit from influencer marketing. They can benefit from working with creators to publish great quality content, to drive traffic, to drive conversion, and all that fun stuff. Now, if I zoom out a little bit more, there's a couple of tailwinds that really have made the success of the industry in the last few years. You've been following the, riding the wave for the last few years, so I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. But especially in the recent past, what we've seen is, especially in the e-commerce space, a number of factors. Number one, we've seen that new gold rush towards e-commerce with COVID, right? Where on the consumer side, we've seen, of course, more and more people buying online, people who have never bought online pre-COVID, who had no choice but doing it. 
on the merchant side, we see that, that new gold rush where companies sometimes have been in business 10, 15, 20 years, they've never sold a single dollar of revenue online and they were in a situation where they had to all of a sudden, right? So we saw the numbers of companies like Shopify, WooCommerce, Wix, or what have you really increased since then. And what that caused is an increase in competitive intensity as well, right? If you combine that with what I like to refer to as the cookie apocalypse, the fact that it's increasingly harder for marketers to deploy their marketing dollars on display advertising and retargeting advertising because browsers and operating systems are less and less likely to support third-party cookies, we end up in a situation where not only the competition is increasing, but the possibilities for you to deploy your marketing dollars are being fewer and fewer every year. And the combination of both is that most people are going back to the usual suspects, the Google AdWords, the Facebook ads, and so on. And those are great. Don't get me wrong, they're scalable, they work really well, but they're also bid-based, right? So in that context, we've seen the acquisition costs really skyrocket. So in the last few years, we've seen tens of thousands of brands coming to Upland saying, hey, I'd like to deploy my marketing dollars in a way that's all right, positive, can you guys help? And the answer has been, of course, a resounding yes. That's sort of the world in which we operate. All right. So to read some of that back to you, what I heard you say is, obviously, there's a huge digital wave coming. COVID's turned everything online. And that in combination with the cookie apocalypse means that marketers are faced with less data. And so either they rely on the performance marketing channels, which are becoming increasingly more expensive, more competitive, or they start looking for other ways to start reaching their customers in a digital fashion. Now, you said, great, I'm riding the creator waves. I ended up becoming a creator. God knows how that happened. But those aren't the only type of people that have influence, right? There's creators like me who are regularly creating content. And there's other people that have large social followings. There's your customers. You know, how do you think about what is an influencer today as opposed to what an influencer was in the pre-COVID time? One specificity I like to look at is people like Kim Kardashian used to be the embodiment of an influencer, what an influencer is. Now, I think these kind of people are more celebrities, meaning the world knows about them without necessarily following them on social media, right? To me, an influencer is someone that you would not necessarily know if you were not following them specifically on social media. So people who are more niche, who are, if you imagine the distribution of influencers as that sort of one over X curve, where this is a very long tail of great volume of very small creators and only a handful of very large creators, I would say it's the mid tail and the long tail that tend to be really the heart and soul and the crux of influencer marketing in that sense. So there's this notion of the Kim Kardashians of the world being the, let's call them the macro influencers. And fortunately for guys like me, you know, we don't have to become influencers in the same way that Kim Kardashian did. And I won't go into more detail than that. But there's your macro influencers who have these massive followings. You're sort of content creators who own some niches, probably your standard influencers. And then there's also this notion of micro influencers, getting people who are your customers, your brand advocates. How do you define the difference between these three groups? One tiny bit of context before I dig in. In the recent past, not only have we heard about micro-influencers, we've heard about nano-influencers. And uh, in the last couple of months, I heard even about pico-influencers. So I guess we're going increasingly small. And the reason behind that, I think, is the following. At the beginning of the age of influencer marketing, when the term was coined, the only influencers that were actually reached out to were the most visible ones, right? The mega influencers, the macro influencers, however you want to call it, the head of the tail of the distribution of influencers. And what happened is the following. Number one, because only a small fraction of influencers were reached out to, 
that created some completely artificial inflation of rates because these people were very solicited. They had all the bargaining power in the world and they were asking increasing amount of money to rent. At the same time, as social media platforms kept iterating with their algorithms, what happened is sort of the larger your community, the lesser your ability to generate high engagement rate is. It's sort of that opposite effect. So not only was getting increasingly expensive, it was also getting less and less efficient with time, right? And the combination of both really deteriorates ROI. So as a result, brand marketers try to go down the distribution to go to middle influencers, nano, micro, all that jazz. And it used to be extremely painful because at that time to work with 10x the amount of influencers, it would take you 10x of the time. But what we've seen in the recent past, companies like Upfluence offering technology solutions that were really streamlining the whole process, automating a lot of the process that's been historically very tedious, very time consuming. And so the marginal cost to working with an extra influencer becomes very small. And so that's how we've seen all of these very successful brands starting to scale very large influencer marketing programs with these increasingly small influencers and, you know, these nano pico influencers. It makes me sad for Kim Kardashian because what I'm hearing you say is the more people that follow you, the less people by percentage love you. Kim, we still love you here. (laughs) You mentioned earlier that there's been this wave of e-commerce companies relying on influencers to sell products. E-commerce and and getting sort of a spokesperson is not necessarily a new medium. Hey, OJ sold isotoner gloves back in the day when he was a football player and nothing else. That's an influencer. It's a spokesperson. Somebody puts on the product, says, boy, these are great. They've gotten furred credibility. So then your brand does. I understand e-commerce. Are there other industries that you're seeing influencers as a marketing channel being adopted more? Is it hitting B2B? Is it hitting digital products, SaaS? Who else is using influencers? I want to say virtually everyone. And if you look actually at the distribution of clients that we have at Upfluence, it's very industry agnostic. You have people in really all verticals in the fitness apparel industry, in the beauty industry, of course, sort of the usual suspects, but also consumer tech, consumer finance, basically any consumer-oriented industry, you, you name it, we have clients in there. But you mentioned B2B, which is an interesting one. And if I zoom out, the mechanics is exactly the same. The mechanics is basically indirect marketing. The brand markets to an audience via a proxy, via an intermediary, which is someone who owns a certain audience, right? It's pretty much that simple. And the psychological fact behind that is that if someone tells me, Ben, that you're great, I'm more likely to believe them than if you yourself tell me that you're great, right? The third party effect sort of always is more authentic and it's a better way to get your point across. So the combination of both, it works in consumer-oriented industries. It works also in B2B. The difference is going to be in the channel, right? How you get to that audience. In my experience, B2B has always been a little bit trickier because there are some considerations that exist in the B2B world that do not necessarily exist in the consumer world. Let me give you an example. If you reach out to people who are super knowledgeable about, let's say, the blockchain on LinkedIn, and you want them to write a post about a certain player in the NFT space or whatever it is, these people might already be employed by a company that's a competitor or an alternative to that message you're trying to push, right? And so they are going to have some conflicts of interest, some arbitrage to make, or they are going to work with you. And that sort of complexify from a brand perspective, you know, who to reach out to, when, in what capacity, and so on and so forth. So that's one thing I found different in my experience. Yeah, you know, speaking from you know the other side of the perch, My guess is that there wasn't this huge surplus of people who were independent content creators in the B2B space until recently, right? Everybody had a job. Everybody had a company that they were representing. So it was hard to be an independent voice for an industry. 
Now you're seeing more talking heads like me pop up and saying, okay, look, I'm an expert or at least knowledgeable in a given space. And instead of working for a company, I'm going to build an audience, build a following and try to monetize it. And so it makes sense to me that you're seeing more and more B2B influencers not only be created, but also being relied on by larger B2B brands, a a wave that we hope is going to continue here at the MarTech podcast. Vivian, as we wrap up today's episode, the question was, how do you figure out if you should build an influencer campaign? It always comes down to dollars, cents, ROI. How do you think about comparing the ROI you would get from a performance marketing channel to what you're seeing through influencer marketing campaigns? Influencer marketing is not exactly direct response, meaning you know it's not a proportional relationship between how much you spend, how much you get, like it could be for any sort of CPC campaign. So there's some science, definitely, but some art also to to this, right? And the way I try to boil it down to is what value proposition can you offer to the influencers? Because this will dictate everything down the line for your campaign. By value proposition, I mean, what are you going to pitch to creators when you reach out to them? What is it you're going to put on the table? Is it money? Is it a product? Is it an invite to an event, maybe in the post-COVID world? What is it you're going to bring? What is it you're going to get value from? And what's interesting here is that different value propositions have different leverages, right? If I give you $100, let's say I'm the brand, you're the creator, I give you $100, it costs me $100, right? It's a one-to-one relationship. If I give you a $100 product that costs me $25 to produce and $5 to ship, now I have some leverage. Now, to add some spice to this, if I give you, let's say, a coupon code or a track link that allows you to generate sales that can be directly and inarguably attributed to you, then I can commission you on the sales. And then, you know, we can do some revenue sharing, right? So now we align the interests of both the brand and the creator in the same direction, in a way that's really scalable and in a way that both parties really look in the same direction. That's the hardest to figure out, right? Because every company has a different unit economic, you know, they have different margin rates, different product offering, different realities. So that's one thing. And then it will really dictate all the rest of your campaign. What kind of brief you write? Who do you reach out to? How do you identify them? Where? On which channel? And all that fun stuff. My takeaway from this conversation is, and I like how you put what direct response marketing is, a proportional way to evaluate your spend versus the return And influencer marketing is not a direct response campaign. It's also not a brand or an unattributable campaign. It is somewhere in between. It is a blend of art and science like most marketing is. And that wraps up this episode of Influencer Week on the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Vivienne Garnes, the co-CEO of Upfluence, for joining us. If you'd like to hear more of Vivienne and Upfluence's tips to building an effective influencer marketing campaign, we're going to publish an episode every day this week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and check back with us tomorrow morning when we discuss how you can match influencers and your audience. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Vivian, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter where his handle is Vivian underscore Garnes. That's V-I-V-I-E-N underscore G-A-R-N-E-S. Or you could visit his company's website, which is upfluence.com. That's U-P-F-L-U-E-N-C-E dot com. 
Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our once a week newsletter and you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.